Our scripture reading this morning is found in the book of Hebrews, beginning in verse 17 of Hebrews 11. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Here ends the reading. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Well, our sermon series continues on living by faith in times of turmoil, and I think we can all agree that these are such times. And we're following the lives of characters in Hebrews 11. And the ones we treat today were characters, and that should give us hope, because aren't we all too? I know I have a lot of competition for your attention this morning. On a holiday weekend, people are often distracted. And the writer of Hebrews knew that his readers were distracted too. They were so distracted that they were turning away from God. They had professed faith in Christ in the past in some very strong ways, but now there was pressure on them to pull back. They were tempted to give up on following Christ. Living as Christians in their social setting had become socially costly. Some people had lost their jobs. Uh, Many had been rejected by their families. Some had lost their property and been jailed. Now, we should be able to connect with this because this is happening in many parts of the world today. Uh, Christians are beaten and driven from their homes regularly in India. They are imprisoned in China. They are being killed in many parts of Africa and elsewhere. And throughout church history and around the world today, there have been and there are compelling incentives to give up on following Christ. And it's happening in this country year by year, researchers tell us. More and more people turn away from God and the church and the whole notion of there being truths, let alone biblical truths. The world church, despite persecution, is growing rapidly. The U.S. church, with exceptions, is stagnant and often off course. The recent news of hundreds of immoral leaders in the largest U.S. Protestant denomination was unsettling, to say the least, but indicative of where the church is today. In Hebrews 11, the writer rallies people whose zeal for faith in Jesus Christ is cooling off. And he points to dozens of people who can help us hold on to God's promise that was fulfilled in Christ. Among these people were Isaac and Jacob, and I'll talk about them shortly, but there was also someone named Esau, and I want us to learn what we can from him first. And if you're taking notes, this is a very easy sermon, one, two, three, Esau, Isaac, 
Jacob. So number one, Esau. By faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. That's verse 20. Who is this guy? Well, when Isaac, the son of Abraham, was about 40, he married Rebekah. Uh, she was childless for a long time, and Isaac prayed and prayed, and 20 years later, God gave them twins, and that was Jacob and Esau. Now, Esau was the firstborn, and by rights, he would inherit the larger share of Abraham's estate, or of Isaac's estate, uh, eventually, and that was supposed to imply also a spiritual blessing, but something happened along the way. And uh, twice this morning, I'm going to dip back into Genesis and, and read a little story out of Genesis. This is from Genesis 25. When the boys grew up, these twin boys, when they grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man dwelling in tents. Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game. He was a good hunter, and Isaac liked to eat what he killed. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. Esau said, I'm about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? Jacob said, swear to me now. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate and drank and rose and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. We could say a great deal about Esau, but the Holy Spirit who gives us scripture tells us what is most significant about him in the next chapter of Hebrews, in Hebrews 12. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. See to it that no one is sexually immoral or unholy like Esau, who sold his birthright for a single meal. For you know that afterward, when he desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place to repent, though he sought it with tears. The lesson of Esau is twofold. So under number one, we have a one and a two, or an A and a B, if you wish. I know some of you do take notes. So number one, under one, don't despise God's grace. Don't despise God's grace. Esau's grandfather was Abraham. And God appeared to Abraham. Abraham was not perfect, but he trusted God's promise. He believed and he was saved from his sin. He was justified through faith. He became the father of a spiritual heritage that Christians share. Scriptures call us who believe in Christ children of Abraham. That is our birthright. We have the right to be called children of God through faith in Abraham's descendant, Jesus the Messiah. Esau had that birthright. He was an heir of an eternal promise. 
but he preferred a life free of the encumbrance of God's promise. He preferred a tasty meal one day when he was hungry. And that meal was emblematic of an indifference to God. He fell short of God's grace by prioritizing his own interests and his appetites. Neglect of God always carries consequences. Second lesson from Esau, grow in grace. Here again from Hebrews 12, afterward, when Esau desired to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no chance or place to repent, though he sought it with tears. I take this to mean that Esau flaunted his favored place for so long. He presumed on God for so long that he hardened his heart. Uh, if you're a student of Genesis, you know that along the way over the years, just despite his parents who wanted him to uh, marry someone in the Abrahamic line, he married a Hittite woman just to gall them. Also, he plotted to kill Jacob. He hated Jacob so much. In principle, Esau could have repented. God can forgive any sin. But the heart it's a fickle thing. People think they control their hearts. But watch out. There are forces bigger than your heart. Give yourself to those forces and you may find you cannot will yourself to call out to God anymore from your heart. In recent years, I observed the slow death of a proud man who lived a hard life. He was baptized as a boy, but from his teens to his 80s, he abandoned religion. If you talk to him during those years, he, he prided himself on being better than the hypocrites in the church. As death approached, I was appalled to see his rage and even tears of frustration because he had no spiritual hope. And I shared the good news of Jesus Christ with him repeatedly in every way that I could conceive. But he had disregarded God so long that he was imprisoned in his indifference toward the only person who could save him, who was not me, but Jesus Christ. Esau teaches us to seize every chance that God gives us. Seize it to grow in the grace and knowledge of God's promise fulfilled in him, in Jesus. And if you have been resisting God in your life, right now is a good time to seek God instead of stiff-arming him. But we turn now to Esau's father, Isaac. So this is number two. And Isaac's name appears over 100 times in the Old Testament, so we have to be very Selective, relaxed, we're not going to go over all of them. Why is he mentioned in connection with faith in Hebrews 11? And uh, I'm just going to pick out two reasons why faith and Isaac are related there. Number one, under number two, 
or A if you're using letters. He didn't let trauma turn him off to God. He didn't let trauma turn him off to God. In Genesis 22, we find the story of Abraham binding his son Isaac at God's command and almost sacrificing him. And if the sermon lags and you want to pray, you can pray for the children because the children are being taught about this story in the children's uh, Sunday school right now. And here it is in Genesis 22. This is the second bit from Genesis I want to read this morning. When they came to the place of which God had told him, that is, Abraham and Isaac, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac his son and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering, burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, as it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. How could this not have had a lasting impression on a boy? I'm sure he was grateful to be spared, but just to be tied up and exposed to possible death like this must have raised questions. If it did, we see no indication that it caused Isaac to hold back faith in God's promises for the future. And this incident becomes a type or a foreshadowing of the resurrection hope that we have in Jesus. And so we read in verse 19, Abraham considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead, if necessary, from which Figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham and Isaac shared in a resurrection hope of future life beyond this one. But I repeat, Isaac did not let his near-death experience wall him up in self-pity or resentment toward God. And here is guidance for us. We can look to God for healing of the stresses and distresses and the blows that life undoubtedly inflicts. We may never forget. There may always be a scar or a painful bruise. But God restores. He gets us through. He can even raise the dead in his wisdom and in his depth and in his compassion. We find what we need to persevere. A second reason why Hebrews 11 mentions Isaac, so this is number two under two, Isaac passed along the heritage that he had received. Isaac passed along the heritage that he had received, a sign of faith. We read in verse 20, by faith Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. He took the baton and he passed it. 
Now there's a great deal compacted into this statement because Isaac is born in Genesis 21 and he invokes future blessings in Genesis 27. So that's a long story that we can't cover. But here's the point that Hebrews is making. Jacob was often a conniving scoundrel. You'll remember that Jacob and Esau were twins. At birth, Esau came out first. But when he emerged, little baby Jacob was clutching him by the heel. Like, I'm going to trip you, buddy. In fact, Jacob means, the word means, one who takes by the heel. Or we often hear it said, the supplanter. The one who undercuts somebody else. Isaac's sons, these twins, were in conflict from the beginning. Esau was maybe more of a snake than Jacob, but they were close. They both had unsavory tendencies. For that matter, Isaac's marriage wasn't ideal. He favored Esau, and that's never a recipe for peace in the home. His wife, Rebekah, favored Jacob. Isaac should have made adjustments, but he didn't. And his family was fractured in part due to his bias. Yet, it says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Isaac, through it all, clung to the promise that his father Abraham had received. He witnessed and he committed deceit. If you study Isaac's life, you'll see that, just like his father did. But you'll also see in Isaac a penitent heart in that he returns to the Lord, his God, again, just like Abraham did. He passed along the heritage that he had received. That's so encouraging because it puts honoring God in reach of all of us. We receive the gospel message. It changes our lives. Our lives impact others, sometimes in very direct ways, like children and grandchildren. What we receive, we live out and we share. And God does something through us to infect others, if I may put it that way, even though at times we drop the ball. And that's how the church survives and how it endures. God comes through. And his promise empowers his people to persevere. But now we come to number three, Jacob. Jacob's name appears 345 times in the Old Testament, according to the ESV. And again, we have to be brief. Why does Hebrews 11 highlight him with these words in verse 21? By faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph bowing in worship over the head of his staff. The picture there is that, that he's very weak and about to die, and he's leaning on his cane as he gives this blessing. Jacob is a tribute to faith in two important ways. So number one, under three. Despite Jacob's conniving character, and here's the point, God honored the promise he made to Abraham in Jacob's life too. God honored the promise he made to Abraham in Jacob's life too. Faith changed everything, not because human belief guides God. 
but because God worked great things through Jacob's fitful and imperfect faith. When you get home at light at night and the house is dark, you turn on a light switch. You light up the room, right? Well, actually, no. Electricity does. An infrastructure you did not build and may not understand gives light. Just so, Jacob knew about and he had dealings with the God of his dad, Isaac, and his grandpa, Abraham. But it was God who gave light and meaning and future purpose to Jacob in his ups and downs. Jacob's faith simply opened the circuit for God to move, and he did, and he still does. Jacob is a tribute to faith secondly, so this is number two under three, Jacob is a tribute to faith in that he blessed Abraham's posterity, his children. He blessed Abraham's posterity through the blessing of all the world since, which includes us. We read about this in Genesis 49, which I will not read. But by the end of life, Jacob had gained the name Israel through when he wrestled with the angel. You've heard of the 12 tribes of Israel? Well, Jacob's name, Israel, his second name, became the name of the whole nation. And in Genesis 49, Jacob prophesies about his descendants. He passes that heritage along. Three of those tribes actually are mentioned in the New Testament. From the tribe of Asher came Anna the prophetess in Luke chapter 2. From the tribe of Benjamin came who? The apostle Paul. And from the tribe of Judah came Jesus, the Messiah. Jacob prophesies about Christ in these words. Genesis 49.10 The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until tribute comes to him, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. In the complexity and the obscurity to us of the ancient Near East, 2,000 years before Christ, God was working through a family of wandering herdsmen to bring redemption to the world. Our God, the God who comes to us in Jesus, is the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. The lesson we learn from them is the power of God's promise. Once there was a boy who ached to have a good baseball glove. And his father said he would buy him one. But his father got busy. And his father forgot. And for weeks every night, the boy waited for his dad to come home from work. Surely this would be the night that he brings the baseball glove. His father's promise kept that boy's hope alive, even in the face of visible and continual disappointment. The story of Esau and Isaac and Jacob is set in Hebrews 11, and there's a lot of disappointment in that chapter when you study it. 
I count the expression by faith 19 times in that chapter. And the temptation is to suppose that the writer is hyping the power of human faith. All these people had great faith. Their faith caused God to do great things. You should have great faith like they did. But is that the point of Hebrews 11? Well, let me say by all means, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Faith is the victory that overcomes the world. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever believes in him, whoever has faith in him, should not perish but have eternal life. But in Hebrews 11, the power of faith is not the point. The point is the power of God's promise. Hebrews 11 is not like a TV preacher saying, if you send a donation and have faith, you'll get rich. Rather, there's a verse at the end of Hebrews 11 that summarizes the point of chapter 11. And actually, this is repeated three times in the chapter, but I'll just read what it says in verse 39. And all these, all the people mentioned in Hebrews 11, though commended through their faith, what it says in the original is, they obtained a witness. They were commended through their faith. Did not receive what was promised. They did not receive what was promised. Now let me explain that. The refrain by faith in Hebrews 11 understands faith as a future orientation that clings to what the Bible teaches God will do even when we may not see evidence of it in our place and time. All the people mentioned in Hebrews 11 are favored by God, even Esau. But none of them sees the fulfillment of his promise in Christ. What they did receive was the chance to draw near to God through trusting his promise and entrusting their lives into his hands. They could let their lives be used for the sake of other people in God's longer-term plans. They could live and die for God's glory, not their personal success in this life. Like their forebear, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob lived and died for God, which it appears Esau did not. He died, but he died like he lived, not for God. God's promise draws us into a relationship with him. And that's by faith, and that's why by faith is so important in Hebrews 11. Through God's promise, our lives become his to direct and make use of. We may not get the baseball glove that we think we have to have. We may even get what the world would call a raw deal, by faith, Abel discovered that faithfulness to God cost him his earthly life. Faithless Cain killed him. Abraham was promised the land, but he did not receive it. Nor did his descendants occupy it until over 400 years after Abraham died. If God is calling you to a Christian commitment today, and the earthly payoff is 400 years from now, 
and other people are the beneficiaries? Will you say yes to a life of following Christ, knowing that? God's promise is strong enough and real enough and sweet enough to tempt you to say yes. And I hope you will. We trust in Christ and we give our talents and our time and our treasure to his kingdom because we are people of promise, not of selfish instant results that we dictate by an expression of will we call faith. Isaac and Jacob caught from Abraham the vision of God's promise to redeem the world. In his personal and persuasive way, God appeared to them. And I believe he appears to all of us in our day and time too. By faith, they accepted the challenge of embracing God's promise. That same promise fulfilled in Christ knocks on our door with a rich and compelling force. By faith, that promise claims our lives, satisfies our souls, and overshadows today's turmoil with God's unshakable future. Let us pray. Lord God, let it be true of us what your word says of Abraham. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God. Thank you for the heritage you established in our forefather Abraham that you preserved through Isaac and Jacob and that you perfected in Jesus Christ. Make us children of promise by faith. In Jesus' name, amen.